just to be clear again, in case in case y'all are wondering, this is uh, just a few days away. This is going to be on Thursday, Eastern time at 7 p.m. We'll make a start. We'll be um, seeking to gather with students on campus in that room, and however many show up, uh, nobody knows. It's anybody's guess. The school is doing what it can to put out the word. Um, but uh, you know how it goes. You can communicate all you like, and uh, unless they have a burden, uh, it's just not going to happen. And that's the that's the thrust of maybe the meditation here today, because as I was thinking about this, we're going to be in Nehemiah just um, taking some thoughts from Nehemiah because as I was thinking about this this 24-hour prayer meeting at the school, you know, nothing really happens, whether it's this or or this prayer meeting itself or, or the conference that our brother Mark Acevedo is presently engaged in. Nothing really happens without a burden. I mean, you can force people to things. You can encourage people to things. But uh, when you don't have a burden, you're just plowing concrete. And really what it amounts to is whether or not there's a thirst. When we talk about a burden, we're talking about thirst. We're talking about hunger. And what happens when there is no thirst? When there is no thirst in the real world, you eventually will die. When there's no hunger in your physical body, you will eventually die. Um, that's why uh, when people stop eating or they just lose their appetite or just even lose their thirst, there has to be outside intervention, whether it's through IV fluids or, or you know, through force feeding. They have to be fed. But it's a very terrible thing when the body no longer has the urge to, to eat. In fact, I believe that's one of the, the last things to go in, in a normal decline of, of a human physical body is you just lose all desire for food. And that's a very bad place to be spiritually, I think. We don't really maybe think of it that way, but when there is no hunger and there is no thirst for God, you're about to die in a in a in a manner of speaking. In fact, the Lord Jesus, one of his uh, rebukes, um, the letters to the churches in Asia, Revelation, I believe is chapter 3, addressing the church at Sardis, had a name to live but was dead, and the exhortation was to strengthen the things that remain that are about to die. And there is a very real resonance in those words, I think, with uh, our own hearts and maybe the state of affairs out there. We're not seeing really the thirst and the hungering that we would like to see, never mind out there, even in our own hearts. And that's, that's, that, that should be an alarm bell. 
we we need to have a hungering and a thirst. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is a blessing to experience hunger. We might not see it that way. Sometimes we can see it as a negative thing to be hungry or thirsty, but it's a blessing. And spiritually, it's definitely a blessing. And so when you think of a a prayer effort like this 24-hour prayer meeting, how do you encourage young people to gather together for extended periods of time if there's no thirst, if there's no hunger for it? You know, the novelty of something will only go so far. And it will quickly peter out. So it can't be novelty. And it can't be even the fact that uh, your friends are going or, you know, the, the crowd effect. There has to be something driving the individual soul on the inside. And the reason why we're going to land in Nehemiah is because during this period, this period that that we read of in Nehemiah, we are now generations into a state of destruction and devastation of Jerusalem. Remember the kings? We went through the kings and started out glorious with David and Solomon and it just sort of went downhill from there until you got to the very last king of Zedekiah, a very wicked king, and the time had run out for Judah, and they were Jerusalem and all of Israel, Judah, they, it was destroyed, completely devastated. So that it was just a, a, a heap of rubble. And then you had those like Daniel and his friends that were brought, the cream of the crop that were brought out of uh, the land of Judah over to Babylon. Then you had that whole thing with Daniel and that his whole generation. And you have uh, the Medes and the Persians after the Babylonians. Daniel's still around, but he eventually dies there. And so you have now a number of generations, and Nehemiah is around that time, of uh, the Medes and the Persians, Artaxerxes. And so you have generations now that have known nothing of that kind of blessing. And I would say it this way. Those that were left in Jerusalem, those that grew up in Jerusalem, among the rubble, amongst all the the rubble and the ruin and all those rocks, you can just imagine those children growing up in that kind of environment and that's all they have known. All they have known was um, a city that's just rubble. When rubble becomes routine, essentially. They, they, you could just see them growing up playing amongst the rubble. And they would have played hide and seek. They would have played all kinds of things. And they... And this is all they knew. This is this was their normal. And perhaps they got used to it, and perhaps they even enjoyed it. 
they enjoyed the fact that you know this is this is their area and it became routine it became the normal and so how do you bring a generation that has no, not known anything but that and create hunger and thirst and i i equate that to our generation in some way where we seem so far removed now from from what we have read in the history books seems like there was a golden era back then in the 1800s 1700s 1600s certainly around the reformation and and i realized that that we we often have have uh, rose tinted glasses when we look back on the past it wasn't perfect either but certainly it feels very desert like uh, today and equivalent to the time of the rubble and the ruin of jerusalem and the children growing up in that today you have children growing up in a generation after generation where the churches for the most part yours might be the exception but for the most part are powerless like i'm talking real spiritual power the gospel is still being preached there's no doubt about that there's still good teaching but the power the manifest presence of god the glory that filled the temple so much so that the priest couldn't stand to minister the fire that came down from heaven and consumed the altar in elijah's day as well as in solomon's day that just seems like fairy tales it just seems like fiction from the past and so again i'm asking how do you break in to a generation that has become really normalized in the rubble where that's all they know and it's all they care and they don't even have a hunger or a thirst after what we're talking about i think the key i think the key is what we find in Joshua i'm going through Joshua and Joshua chapter 1 it starts out by saying this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate upon it day and night and thou, thou shalt observe to do all the law and not turn from the left or the right the point is what happens when you meditate on the word of god day and night so Nehemiah I'm sure though he was living very comfortably in the palace he was the king's cupbearer I'm sure he and and this is all he had known living this way living in this land but even though he was very comfortable and humanly speaking there was no need that he had to change anything I'm sure he was one that would have been in the word of god and what happens when you read the word of god well in his case when he's reading of the the mighty acts of god during the days of uh, of moses and joshua as i have been reading i'm sure he was reading as well and then even through the kings solomon and what happens is when you start to read the word of god and meditate on it day and night 
something happens, that becomes your new normal. That becomes the, the, the plumb line against which you measure everything else. That's your, your measuring stick. And so as you're reading and you're meditating on it day and night, and you're not just living in this present world, and that's all you know, then something happens in your heart. I believe a hungering and a thirsting starts to develop in your heart. Something is not lining up. Something's not matching. I'm reading about this in the Word of God. The priest couldn't stand to minister because of the glory that filled the place. I know nothing about that. What is this? Or it's talking about Solomon in all his glory and how how the Queen of Sheba, her breath was taken a bit away and, and, and the sp- she had no more spirit left in her. The half wasn't told her. And, and Nehemiah is probably thinking, this is not lining up. All I see is rubble and ruin in Jerusalem. And it's a little bit like what Tozer said. I was reading a little, uh, a little of this. This is The Pursuit of God. This is uh, A.W. Tozer. And, and if, if you know anything about A.W. Tozer, he, he definitely understood this. I'll just read a little clip because it sums it up. We have been too blind to see. This is Tozer in The Pursuit of God. We have been too blind, too timid, too self-satisfied to desire anything better than the poor average diet with which others appear satisfied. To put it different, to put it differently, we have accepted one another's notions, we have copied one another's lives, and we have made one another's experiences the model for our own. You see what's going on? We're measuring against one another instead of measuring against the Word of God. And for a generation, the trend has been downward. Now we have reached a low place of sand and burnt wire grass. And worst of all, we've accepted this low plane as the very pasture of the blessed. Isn't that the truth? We're willing to put up with the rubble because we have we have made the rubble routine. It will require, goes Tozer goes on to say, it will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. And Tozer goes on to say, but it can be done. In other words, it's not going to be easy. And he, and he says, history has recorded several large-scale returns like this. The Reformation is one, and, and so on. <clears throat> and, and he has this uh, little postscript. He says, What God in his sovereignty may yet do on a world scale, I do not claim to know. But what God will do for the plain man or woman, the single man or woman, the individual who seeks his face, I believe I do know and can tell others. In other words, 
Tozer says, whether or not God sends a, a worldwide revival is kind of beside the point. He does know what, what God will do with the individual that starts getting desperate and serious. He says that the results for the individual, and then collectively perhaps worldwide, but for the individual, the results will exceed anything he may have hoped in his leaner and weaker days. End quote. That's exactly it. That is exactly my point. We have a generation, and you, you can see this on their faces. You're, you're walking around the campus, and you see it on the faces of the, the young people, perhaps in your church. There's a bright spot here and there. I'm not casting a, a, a general thing. You know what I mean. And there's really no thirst. There's, there's, no, there's no need. Everything's okay. We're fine. This is all we've known. And <clears throat> I believe there needs to be a thirst and a hunger as we line up our experience with the Word of God, not with one another, and as we look back to church history and see they enjoyed it, it can be done. It will take effort and more than a little courage. And so they build again. You see, what happens is they don't leave it in the rubble and just wallow in that. They build again. And that's the great encouragement of Nehemiah, isn't it? They build again. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse <clears throat> 20, it says, The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. And friends, that's essentially what we're seeking to do. We are in a rebuilding effort. I would like to say that it's, it's uh, we're, we're riding on a crest of something that was given, handed down to us, but, but as far as our immediate previous experience, it's like Isaac redigging the wells that the Philistines had stopped up with earth. It's an excavation effort. This is, this is our calling now. I mean, we would like for it to be something else, I, I'm sure, but our calling now for those that, that have a burden that have a thirst, is to just do the hard work, pick up the shovel, the axe, and start rebuilding the walls that have been lying in rubble for decades, for generations. We will arise and build. And that's the message of Today, that's the burden of my own heart. Uh, it goes without saying. Um, it goes without saying that that there's going to be opposition. The, the The moment Nehemiah started to have a desire to build, you you read it. It's it's fascinating. There are five occasions where it says. And then it came to pass, Sanballat heard what was going on. It came to pass, Sanballat heard what was going on. Five times. The first time, 
It says that he was grieved. The devil is grieved when there is a burden to rebuild. The second time, Sanballat laughed. This is in chapter 2, verse 19. He laughed, laughed to scorn. There's going to be mockery, a belittling. The third time, in chapter 4, he was wroth. So it turned from grieved to mockery. Now there's real anger and great indignation. And interesting, in verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Is that what they intend to do? The fourth time, it's mentioned in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says that they were very wroth. In other words, they weren't just mad. They were very mad. And the last time, it says something about Sanballat in chapter 6, in verse 2, they thought to do me mischief. In other words, the devil is going to stop or do his best to stop God's people from rebuilding. And this is a rebuilding effort. I mean, this is, to me, I, I just see this as a rebuilding effort. And, I'm, I mean, all of us, perhaps you're in circles that are a lot stronger and maybe you've, you don't feel like you need to rebuild, and that's great. God bless you. I, I mean that. That's wonderful. I'm sure there are pockets like that here and there, but I would say largely we're in a rebuilding work. And it's going to take courage. Or in the words of Tozer, it's going to take a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. But it can be done. Amen.